Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. seated. I'm wondering as we begin the message this morning, what is the ugliest Christmas sweater you have ever seen? I've actually got some candidates for you just to get your imagination going. I've got a couple pictures here you can hopefully see on the screen. You've got on the left a Christmas tree with a squirrel attached to the shoulder so you're never lonely, always have a companion or There's the two-for-one special, where if there's somebody you want to spend the whole evening with, you'll be warm that way, I'm sure. (laughs) Got on the next slide here, we've got dinosaurs are always a good choice for an ugly Christmas sweater. Or you can be more committed to the Christmas tree and add texture and ornaments, and you can really be all in. Or you've got this guy. Yes, that is a unicorn, and yes, it does light up, so in case you were wondering. (laughs) No, Christmas sweaters have a very long history. I don't really know where the history of the ugly Christmas sweater comes in, but it certainly has become uh, an enjoyable tradition. Uh, But I'm wondering, have you ever had a loose thread on a sweater? You know, the, you know the one I'm talking about, the one that you know you should cut with scissors because if you try to pull it, you're going to end up unraveling the whole sweater, right? Because the entire sweater is all intertwined with each other. So that's the image I want you to grab onto for this Advent series that we're beginning today. We're calling it Christmas Threads. The idea with this series is that we're going to pull on some threads, We're going to pull on some threads or some themes or ideas that as we pull on them, we're going to find that they weave throughout all of history, that these themes or threads are core to what the Bible is all about. They're central to what God is accomplishing in creation. They're central to why Jesus came that very first Christmas, and they're central to what Jesus is ultimately going to accomplish when he comes again. And so we're going to pull on some of these threads throughout the Advent season. The first thread that we're going to pull on has to do with our relationship with God. When you start thinking about your faith, do you have a relationship with God? And what kind of relationship? No matter where you are on your journey, what kind of relationship? What's the nature of that relationship? What can you expect from God and what is expected from you in the course of this relationship? Throughout the Bible, when God talks about his relationship with his people, he talks about being in a covenant relationship. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be in a covenant relationship? With God. And so as we move into this this morning, I invite invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have to gather this space, and we invite you by your Holy Spirit to be the one leading our thoughts, 
May you make the meditations of our minds and our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is a covenant? You actually witnessed a covenant being made during our first reading from Deuteronomy chapter 29 earlier. Deuteronomy is really a series of sermons given by Moses just before the people enter the promised land. And in the, the passage we heard today, it is a message and a covenant. Moses has gathered around him all of the people. He's got the leaders and the elders, but he also has men and women, young and old. He even has the foreigners that were living among them. And so what this is telling us is the covenant is all-inclusive. Everyone is present. Moses actually even indicates that the covenant they make that day is for those who aren't already with them. So it's not just those who are present. It's also for those in the future. And so in it, when he has them gathered, Moses says this in verse 12, you're standing here in order to make a covenant, enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you as his people, that he may be your God as he promised. And within those two verses, we really get to the heart of what a covenant is all about. Because a covenant is about affection and contract. It's about both parts of that. The covenant relationship is about a relationship of love and a relationship of binding expectation. And so as we think about it, a relationship of affection and love, we hear that in Moses' language, that he would be your God. Like, think about that. Is that how you talk about your relationship with God? Is he your God? Does it have that possessive nature to it. Not that like you own God and you get to boss him around. That's not what I'm talking about. It's more like when you have that possessive relationship with your spouse or your children. It's like your kids, right? It's your little Ralphie. It's your Tina. It, it's your intimate possessive relationship with that person. And so the covenant expresses this mutual intimate possession and affection. But the covenant is also legally binding. Right? Moses said that it was sealed with an oath. The passage began by saying, carefully follow the terms of this covenant. Right? There's terms. So that means there are expectations and demands being placed on the parties in the agreement. Things that must be done, rules that must ultimately be followed. And if the expectations of the agreement are met, then... The covenant indicates that there are benefits, there are payoffs, there are blessings. If the expectations of the agreement are not met, then there is penalties or curses. Moses in this passage promises the blessing of prosperity in everything. A pretty good promise if you can get it. In terms of curses, he, he says the curses are going to bring a disaster on the land. The one who violates the terms of this covenant will never be forgiven. All of the curses written in the book of the law will be poured out on them. Their names will even be blotted out from under heaven. There are serious consequences of covenant. And most of our relationships in our life, if we think about it, are defined either by affection and trust or a legal agreement, a formal contract. 
right? You have relationships with friends and family that are rooted in affection and mutual respect and trust and care. I'm pretty confident that you don't often enter into contracts with your friends. You probably haven't said, okay, so let's make a deal. I'll hang out with you on Friday night if you provide the popcorn and the beverages, and then I will arrive at the appropriate time and I will bring pizza, right? And if you do not uphold your end of the deal, then I will take the pizza and I will slam it in your face, <laughs> right? Like this is probably not an agreement that you have entered into with any of your friends, but that would be a legal binding kind of thing. And if you did, your friend would probably say, yeah, you're uninvited, thanks. And so we have these relationships that function based on mutual respect and trust and affection, but we also have relationships every day that are based on more legal agreement. Right? You have it every day. You have a contract, an agreement with the person that changes the oil in your car. You give them money, they change the oil. Very simple. And, it, and obviously they can become much more complicated. That's why attorneys have job security. But we have these simple agreements where it likely ends kind of there, doesn't it? You might have a polite conversation as you're coming in, as you're going out, but the reality is the limits of the relationship are defined by your contractual agreement, whether it's written or unwritten, right? It would be pretty weird if you asked your grocery clerk who's you know, checking you out, hey, would you like to come over Friday night? Right, that, they might find that to be a little weird and forward because that violates the terms of the relationship. This is supposed to be uh, we have a transaction, right? I'll uphold my part, you uphold your part, and then it ends there. But covenant brings together both of these realities. It brings together the relationships based on affection and trust and those based on the legally binding agreement. And so God, as a covenant-making God, is holding together the reality of affections and expectations, the reality of love and of holiness. And the, the beauty is that the covenant actually raises up both parts. It actually strengthens and makes more beautiful each aspect. The legal aspects of the covenant relationship actually make the affection and the trust stronger. The relationship that based in trust right, has the, doesn't, doesn't necessarily have the power of the legal agreement behind it. This is why actually if we think about a marriage, it's not just a re marriage relationship, we call it a marriage covenant. Because in theory, right, man and woman get together, they get married, and they decided to get to that day because they love and trust each other, right? There's an affection in theory. And yet on that wedding day, they are making a legal binding agreement with each other. And this becomes so powerful when life happens. Because if you have been married more than about eight minutes, you know that the affection and the feelings can come and they can go, <laughs> right? It's just the reality. Stuff happens. And so we get frustrated with each other, right? And we find that the demands on life are such that we can't give to the other the way that we were before and they can't give back to us. And so at those moments, the affection can begin to fade. And this is where the power of the legal agreement comes in because we can say, yes, I still trust you because we have made a commitment to one another that no matter what happens, we're in it. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm going to stick it out. And so the trust and the affection that got into the relationship in the first place actually becomes deeper and stronger because it also has this legal binding agreement with it. 
But the love and affection that comes into the relationship makes it so that the relationship is not just a transactional, mechanical sort of agreement. It brings intimacy and care. Right? Like you can rent an apartment from a landlord and you can have the confidence and security that if you pay your rent, you will in fact have a place to live. If you don't, things can start to get a little ugly, can't they? A covenant would be more like having a lease with a parent or a grandparent that loves you. Right? That you have a lease perhaps because they need to have some confidence that you're going to make your rent payments because they may have a mortgage that they've got to pay off. But if you come on hard times and you struggle to be able to pay your rent, they're not likely to immediately kick you out onto the street, are they? Because they have care and they have affection and they have love for you and so they'll work with you to get you back on your feet. And so there is a grace and there's a patience and there's a tenderness that bring, is brought into the covenant relationship that is greater than just the legal agreement. And so covenant holds together affection, trust, and intimacy on one hand, expectations and obligation on the other hand, and this is the kind of relationship that God has had with his people throughout history. And so as we pull the thread, we can see it. We can see that God made a covenant relationship with Adam in the garden. He said, as he put Adam into the garden, he said, all right, here, you work it. See this place of beauty and delight? You're going to work in this garden. You're going to tend it. And you can eat from all of the trees in the garden. What an incredible promise of provision from God. Oh, but here's the deal. Don't eat from that one in the middle of the garden. Because if you eat it, you're going to die. But did you hear covenant relationship here? I made you, I love you, I'm placing you into this, this, this paradise of delight, but I also have expectations for you that you will work it, that you will obey and not eat, because if you do, there's the warning of the curse. It's covenant relationship from the beginning. God makes a covenant with Noah. Noah has to uphold his part of the deal. God saves him through the great flood and then puts a rainbow in the sky as a sign of a covenant that he'll never flood the earth the same way. God makes a covenant with Moses. We're reading one of those in Deuteronomy here, but he also made the covenant through Moses when Moses came down the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments. It was God's way of saying, here, do this because I want you to be my people and I want to be your God, but I need you through to be holy as I am holy so that I can be with you and you can be with me. He made a covenant with David and said, you will be the king on the throne of my kingdom forever and ever. Never will there be a time where your heir is not reigning on the throne. Over and over and over, God is a covenant-making God, and the prophets call the people back to faithfulness, to the obligations and expectations of the covenant, and hold out the promise of the love and the affection that also comes with it. But as we pull this thread through history, we can see some problems, can't we? I mean, over and over, the covenant is violated by God's people. Adam did eat the fruit, didn't he? Noah has a moment of lapse in judgment as he is passed out drunk in his tent right after being saved from the flood. Of, over and over, the people of God fail to uphold the Ten Commandments and are constantly seeking other gods. David is the abject, utter moral failure with murder and adultery in his resume. And so the covenants come to us. 
demanding our obedience to God's way of life, just as it demanded and made expectations throughout history, where do we find ourselves? find ourselves probably in this long line of people unable to uphold the terms of the covenant. So what does that mean for our relationship with God? Is our relationship with God conditional on our obedience or is it unconditional? Is it secure or is it insecure? Because on the one hand, the covenant says this is a relationship of affection and love. It's unconditional. God loves you. And we love to hear that. And we need to hear that. And it it is the cry, I think, of the general perspective of our culture that, yes, of course, God loves you. And it's true. But the problem is when we only remember that God loves us, then we forget the demands that the covenant places on our lives. And we don't take obedience seriously. We can forget that we're in the relationship with a holy God, a God who made us and has expectations for how we live and what we will do and expects our obedience. If we focus on, of course God loves us, of course God loves us, he'll forgive us, then, well, we can functionally become, live into a space where it doesn't really matter how I live or what I do. Moses was warning the people of this, people were saying, I'll be safe even though I persist in going my own way. And Moses is like, yeah, no, you won't. That's not how the covenant works. And you might find yourself thinking, exactly, that's not how it works. We have to be obedient. Right? The covenant has expectations. Our relationship with God is conditional. We have to obey so that he will bless us. You have to be a good person, and if you're a good person, you go to heaven, and if you do it right, you live God's way, then he'll listen to your prayer. He'll respond to you in the midst of your need, but you have to obey. And we pull this thread, and we find full and complete obedience impossible. So is the covenant relationship with God conditional or unconditional? (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. It's both. And this is where Christmas comes in. And so I want to share with you also from Philippians chapter 2. And you can follow along on the screen if you'd like, but hear these words that Paul gives us. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I'm going to guess that that's probably not your go-to Christmas passage. I'd like 
Where's the manger? Where's Mary? Where are the angels? What's the deal? But, but this passage so succinctly describes the Christmas miracle. Because the Christmas miracle is this, that Christ Jesus, who is in his very nature God, the eternal Son of God, equal to the Father, God himself took on the form of a servant, became a human. The miracle of Christmas is that God would take on flesh, that he would unite himself with a human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. Why would he do it? Because of the covenant. It's all about the covenant. It's that the covenant is a conditional and an unconditional relationship. Jesus comes as the true human, fully human, so he comes under the expectations of the covenant that God has made with humanity. And Paul tells us he is obedient. He is perfectly obedient. And in his perfect obedience, he fulfills all of the demands and the requirements and expectations of the covenant. His life fulfills all of the conditional expectations. He is obedient, and he is obedient to even death on a cross. Wait a second. His perfect obedience didn't deserve death, did it? It deserved blessing, prosperity in everything. He deserved the blessings of the covenant. And yet on the cross, he received all of the curses of the covenant. Destruction and rejection and judgment all of the curses poured out on Jesus Christ. That's because in Jesus Christ, the covenant that God has made with all humanity is completely fulfilled. All of the requirements for perfect obedience fulfilled in Jesus, all of the requirements of the curses for our disobedience and failure also fulfilled at the same time in Jesus Christ. He took on the curses of the covenant so that we could have the blessings that he had earned with his perfect life. Our relationship with God is conditional. Our obedience is expected, but we fail. And so Jesus came and fulfilled those conditional requirements. See, that's the legal part of the covenant. It's been fulfilled. And the affection and love, well, man, that's Christmas in the first place, isn't it? He didn't have to do that. That's why Jesus came, though. That God loved us so much, he could have just let us bear the full weight of the legal requirement and expectation and curse of the covenant. But instead, he loves us so much that he sent his own son to take our place. That's how much he loves you. Where does it leave us then this morning? What is your relationship with God like? What can you expect from him and what is expected of you? Well, you can expect that you have a God who loves you. You have a God who, though we fail over and over again, will continue to offer you forgiveness and restoration through Jesus Christ, but you have a God who also demands your obedience. But we don't have to obey him because we fear what will happen. We can obey him as a way to love him. Let our affection, let your affection for God take shape in your obedience. Your love for God take expression in your passionate commitment to his will and his way for your life because you are in a covenant relationship with God who loves you and who expects from you and me the obedience that we can offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we...
we acknowledge that this covenant, it, in some ways, it, it's very difficult for us to fully wrap our heads and hearts around. Because it brings together things that we often keep opposed to one another. So Lord, may you help us understand more deeply in our minds and even more so that we could commit more fully with our hearts and our lives and our will to love you as you have loved us. To offer you our joyful and willing obedience, not out of fear of what you might do to us, but out of joy and love for what you have already done for us through Jesus Christ, the covenant fulfiller. It's in his name that we trust and we pray. Amen.